The following episode of The Book Guys is rated explicit for content and may contain lots and lots of violence. Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka, and you're listening to The Book Guys. Go, Habs, go! Book Guys Show is brought to you by Audible. Go to bookguys.ca slash audible and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. This is the Book Guys Show. It's the weekly extravaganza. We talk about books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. And my name is Paul Alves, sometimes known as Paul the Book Guy. Joined this week by the one and only... Sir Jimmy. How you doing, Sir Jimmy? Hey, coming to you from the Hollow Book Bunker. That's right. And all the way from New Jersey, author Nick Orsini. Hello, Nick. Hey, guys. He'll be joining us for the whole show, I hope. That's it, yep. Good times, good times. And uh, Sir Jimmy and Nick, uh, well, Mr. Greg is uh, MIA. I know he's got some issues to take care of. So uh, we'll see. He might pop in later in the show. Might not. And uh, I actually spent Saturday, all of Saturday, with... Uh, Mr. Greg, the book guy, Ott, and uh, Teresa, the librarian. I love how everyone gets like superhero names. Teresa, the librarian. <laughs> and uh, we had a good time at Toronto Comic Con. Um, I know, Nick, we were talking a little bit before the show, and you've got uh, one there in New York that uh, Wizard Con also does? Uh, I'm not sure if Wizard... I know it's the New York Comic Con. I don't know if Wizard Con puts it on, but um, sort of the same thing, sort of a satellite of the one in uh, out in California. So, But yeah, it's awesome. I try to go uh, you know, every year they have it, so it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, I was walking around uh, after I've, I've taken in some of the panels and uh, gone around to see you know a bunch of the the vendors trying to find my Doctor Who stuff, which is hard to find in Canada. Uh, then I went uh, went over to the autograph area and uh, you know meet up with some of the more famous people there. And I, I now know that if young women enjoy watching television shows that the person is on, you're not going to get anywhere near them. <laughs> You know, I didn't want to have to, you know, like shove young women aside to, to get to anyone. So uh, the cast of Being Human, uh, they were going to do a promo, but uh, yeah, they got kind of barraged by uh, all these women. It's a lot of fun, though. So, uh, Nick, uh, tell us a bit about, uh, you just had a exciting uh, news for us. A new book just came out this week? Yeah, last week um, I put out my new book in the uh, the Amazon Kindle store. It is, uh, it's called Fingerless Gloves. Uh, basically... Fingerless Gloves is a story about uh, two best friends, um, Anton and James. And what ends up happening, it's kind of a story about, uh, you know, it's uh, basically the best way to describe it, I guess, is, uh, you know, you've seen like Dazed and Confused in American Graffiti, how these films are sort of contained within one evening almost. And that's sort of the way uh, the plot of my book moves. Basically, uh, the start of the book Something pretty drastic happens to James, and uh, he's actually rushed by ambulance to the hospital. And then the book is about Anton uh, sort of going through these 14 hours 
where he's not quite sure what happened to his best friend, but he's working really hard to figure it out. And, uh, you know, he meets up with some characters along the way, some guys that he grew up with, uh, ex-girlfriends, his parents, all these cousins, all these different people that he meets up with during the night. And, uh, you know, basically it's a, it's a story about, you know, best friends and, and the things that, you know, sometimes you take for granted, uh, I guess when you're, you you have certain types of relationships with people, it's about being, uh, almost 30 and sort of not knowing still what you're, what you're really doing. Uh, it's, it's sort of a reflection on what's happened to, uh, I'm 25 and, uh, it's sort of a reflection on what's happened to people my age that sort of coming of age period has been pushed back so far now that, you know, you could be 26, 27 years old and, you know, still floating around out there, you know, trying to figure yourself out. So, uh, you know, the book definitely speaks to that a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for it. Um, you know, I, I published my, you know, all my stuff myself. So it was, uh, you know, it was definitely a journey to get it into the Kindle store. And now, what I hope happens to it, I really hope that like I could, I want to create an experience with the book, basically uh, using the text to craft a uh, almost like an album. Okay. I actually have a couple musicians, a couple people that are going to work with me to score the story. A couple of voice actors who are going to step up and read it, and uh, yeah, hopefully it turns out great. I mean, I'm really excited for all that's going to happen to it. Oh, that's that sounds great. So uh, you, you're going to have full full length uh, like accompaniment of music to it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, right now the book is, is 40 short chapters. Um, you know, the book itself, I believe, is about, it's like 63,000, 64,000 words. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, it's like in 40, just about 40 chapters. And what's going to happen is each chapter, um, you know, sort of like I, I talked to the team behind this and we looked at what Wes Anderson did with uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox sort of taking voice actors outside of a studio and bringing them into the environments, you know, created in the book. So we have a scene uh, in a drive-thru, and I want to go to the drive-thru and get the ambient sound and, like, do the scene there and stuff. And, uh, you know, we like, things like that where, you're, you know, you're outside, you're, you know, you're getting, like, a lot of that feeling. And, uh, and yeah, we, I have a, a, a really good friend of mine, um out in Boston, his name's Dylan Wise. He's a multi-instrumentalist, and he's gonna work with me to score the, uh, you know, to score the book. And I have a couple friends in, in a couple different up-and-coming bands who are, you know, working on creating some original music for it. And uh, I have a really great audio engineer out of New York City, out of a place called Pipeline Productions. Uh, his name's Joel Stearns, and he's gonna be sort of running the whole show out of his studio. So, you know, really thankful for those guys, and, and hopefully, we come out with something great. Nice. And uh, is this kind of thing you, you're looking to, like, I know your Fingerless Gloves is on uh, Kindle now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be putting this other one into the uh, maybe Audible kind of thing or iTunes yeah, I, you know, through your site? or What I want to sort of happen with, uh, you know, with Fingerless Gloves is the, as the audiobook portion. Um, I want each section to be able to sort of live on its own as its own, like, contained, you know, piece of this larger story. So my vision for it is to live on not only Audible, but places like SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, you know, iTunes, places where people typically go and look for music to sort of like cross that, that boundary. You know, ideally, the music and the accompaniments are so interesting and, and you know, so engaging that, you know, it, it 
almost serves itself as a separate media apart from the book. Oh, brilliant. So, so you're saying so that like the sections of the book would be almost like standalone uh, audio that you could uh, get individually? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be available as, like I said, about 38 individual tracks and then meant to be put together into one long story. But as I mentioned, like the book follows a, a time structure. So you might be listening to one chapter that starts at 7 p.m. and goes to 8 p.m. Right. Whereas like later on, you know, you're into the two in the morning, three in the morning. So, and, you know, it's it's basically an all nighter. So. As you get later on into the story, you know, the mood of the music changes. Some more sinister stuff starts to happen. You know, like, you know, the kind of characters you encounter at 4.30 in the morning could be, you know, you're like whoever, you know, is out at that time, which is, you know, crazy. But, um, yeah, so that's sort of my idea for it, that each track is is sort of its own individual contained, uh, contained tale or, you know, audio portion. And I got a comment because I know, Sir Jimmy, you were looking at uh, two wrongs make a vice dot com, and you noticed the uh, the uh, the novel's art, the cover. <laughs> that's a brilliant <laughs> yeah, picture. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a young kid. He's he's really working his way hard. He's he's hard working. He's trying to get this uh, droid into the X wing fighter. <laughs> it's it's just cute. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was telling you guys, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show, and. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to stumble on a really great uh, Flickr page. The username is Hero JH, and he uh, he grew up with all those original Star Wars toys. Uh, took pictures of him as a kid with all these different toys, from Ewok suits to you know the Death Star and all this stuff. Uh, and then posted him as you know he's you know it's now he's uh, I believe he's in his mid thirties, but. Um, mid thirties, early forties, but he's, uh, yeah. And, and the albums are fantastic. He's got a ton of pictures on there and he was really, really nice and gracious to let me use the image. Um, you know, and yeah, and I think the, the book image on the cover speaks to the overall story. Uh, this, this story is sort of, uh, you know, what happens when you, you're forced to almost shed some of that innocence that you had. And when I was looking for an image for the, the cover of the book, I just thought not only was this dynamic and iconic and, uh, you know, but also spoke directly to that theme of, uh, you know, how you could be engaged with something so deeply and something so simple. (laughs) And then, you know, the older you get, sometimes, you know, the things you should be engaged in most, your your relationships, your friendships, sometimes you you put them on the back burner for things that aren't as important. So just thought that the image really spoke to the theme of the book. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, let's see, well, there's trailers up there. If folks want to check out uh, the trailers in the book, get another feel for it. You have two trailers up at uh, twowrongsmakeavice.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, the first one I shot, uh, I shot it myself. And, uh, you know, it's just basically me and my friends, uh, you know, sort of going through some different stuff. There's a lot of uh, cutaways to New York City and sort of use that as a teaser to sort of set it up, you know, the mood, basically their mood pieces, uh, basically getting you, you know, sort of in the mood for, you know, what, what this book is about. The second trailer, um, you know, I, I basically, I bought, borrowed some images and some footage and, and I tried to re, uh, purpose some of these images as, you know, this narrative, um, what you see is that, uh, this girl and, and she's walking by herself and, you know, there's these cutaways to, you know, when, when people were like younger, when they were having fun. And then all of a sudden, 
the cutaway, the mood in the cutaway starts to change and it's a little bit more serious. You get the sense that maybe something sort of isn't going right. And, uh, and the song I picked is called Matches uh, by a band called The Format. Um, now it's funny, uh, that band has since become a band called Fun and they have a song that's been all over the radio, uh, you know, and uh, they've gotten pretty huge. And, you know, back then when they were the format, they, they made this quiet song called Matches. And basically it's, uh, you know, sort of this, to me, it, it spoke to, you know, um, basically what, the, what this book is about. Uh, it's definitely a story about coping uh, with, with loss, coping with, um, you know, with, with things that maybe you literally and figuratively, when you lose them, you can't get them back. So I thought that the song was definitely appropriate. And some of the imagery is really nice stuff. I mean, um yeah, so it's just like I said, a mood piece to get everybody, you know. I'd, I'd, I'd love to play a little clip of the song right now, but uh, you know, clicking play on YouTube videos lately, you never know. We might end up with like a Purina dog commercial or something come up. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> it's up there. People want to check it out. It's on a, you know, not only is it on Two Wrongs Make but it's on my blog, Adorkablelife dot com too. So you know, and if you just search in YouTube for it, you know, it's the first thing that comes up. So it's you know, now, good. this this uh, audio production that you want to make from uh you're going to make from fingerless gloves mm -hmm. now uh, i'm looking at uh, two wrongs make a vice your other book yep and i noticed that it, it does on the front uh inside flap the inside cover it says two wrongs make a vice a special two disc mix that i made the day after i spent the night yeah that was uh <laughs> you know that book i it's structured it, almost like a mixtape where you have um you know, disc one and disc two and all the chapters are structured, you know, as track numbers. And I actually had people tweet the track, like what they wanted the tracks to be called. So it's sort of like this irreverent smattering of phrases that litter like the, you know, the the track titles of this of these books. Um, you know, uh, people came up with some crazy stuff like, you know, all these different like I said, all these different phrases, everything from, uh, you know, about starting lineup baseball figures all the way through to, uh, <laughs> you know, just uh, things. Willem Dafoe, I think, is a chapter title. Just Willem Dafoe. I think so, my, I mean, my favorite is uh, crazy stuff. My favorite is disc two, track 14. Mm -hmm. Don't give drugs to the accountant. Yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, like I said, kids, you know, kids from all over the country, you know, tweeted those those things. So it was a. Uh, Pretty interesting. I, I actually got a lot more than I could use. So going through and trying to find the ones that uh, that I wanted to use was a, was a good part of the process of that book. So tell us a little bit about uh, Two Wrongs Make a Vice. So what the story is about? Sure. That was uh, that was the first book that I wrote. I was twenty two, and uh, basically I, you know, the story behind that one. Uh, I graduated from Marist College, which is in upstate New York, um, in Pough in Poughkeepsie. I was a, a film history major, and I remember that day I was like packing up my car the day I graduated, and uh, you know I was packing up my car, packing up my things, and my dad gave me a really stern handshake, and everything was like really you know proper. And uh, and driving home, I had this like freakout where I had no clue what was supposed to happen to me after that. Like I had, I got the diploma, I did all this stuff right, right. and I didn't know what. So I started thinking of this story in my head, um, basically told 
uh, sort of like Jay McInerney's Bright Lights Big City, where it's a, a nameless main character and you're experiencing sort of firsthand um, what this character goes through. And it's basically this, this young man's search to try to find... Uh, try to find a job in New York City while reconciling some of the more awkward stuff that he'd gone through uh, in his past. And the, uh, you know, the, the story is, is meant to be this universal thing because, you know, during the course of writing it, uh, we got hit with the Great Recession and, and a lot of my friends were really struggling. Not only it goes beyond struggling to, like, find a job and find your place in the world, but just really struggling to, like, with basic stuff, how to you know, how to move out of your parents' house, how to, like, fend for yourself. So the book is a, is a reflection on a lot of the people I knew during that time. And, um, you know, it's it covers, I think, a, an eight-year span of the characters, sort of more formative years. And, uh, you know, it's people that have read it, uh, it's painfully awkward. It's, like, really that sort of – I tried to hit that nerve where <laughs> – you know, you're sort of like, oh, my God, really? Like, why Why would you do that? Like, sort of that really awkward place that we've all been to. So, Brilliant. Well, uh, check that out for sure. Um, I'm partway through Two Wrongs Make a Vice, and I'm definitely interested in fingerless gloves. You had me at the cover. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys are, are interested. In, and, yeah, everybody, I want everybody to check it out. I think I'm really proud of it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's hard doing this stuff, like, you know, when you're on your own, usually like authors have a team of people behind them, a team of people that a lot of, you know, you don't really get to see. But when it's just you and, and you know, you're you're pulling your friends in and you're pulling, you know, your family in to help you, like all the people that order Two Wrongs Make Advice, uh, you know, when it started and, and orders were coming in heavy, it was my mom packing them up. Like my mom was helping me. So it's uh, it's a crazy process and it's been an incredible journey. So yeah, you know, yeah, awesome. you, know you know what, Nick? But we we are blessed to to, to live in in uh, at least in in this these times. I mean, even even if we were born ten years earlier, uh, you'd be driving around in a van with a bunch of books that you paid a ton of money for. Oh yeah, no, I know. You know, and we're we're blessed <laughs> to, to be able to, I mean, uh, crush it. You know, I, I, again, highly recommend any author out there, any anyone who's doing online blogs, uh, crush it by Gary Vaynerchuk. He's the wine guy. Uh, Great audiobook, must read for anyone who's promoting themselves online. But I mean, Nick, you can any hour you devote to promoting yourself online is you know uh, one step closer to you know selling that millionth book. Yeah, you know definitely, and uh, save on gas. Yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, and I do, I tour as much as I can. Um, last year, I was you know fortunate to have a, a road team who was like really dedicated to getting out there and helping me and. We're able to do a lot of events around uh, the tri-state area here in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Um, so we are out there. We definitely have a presence, um, you know, just spreading the word, not only about the my books that I'm working on, but, uh, you know, the company that I started, Read at the Show, is sort of a, an outlet for a lot of young writers. Um, one of the things that I do, I, I go to schools, uh, a lot of different high schools and some colleges in the area, and uh, talk to English classes about... Uh, you know, how to turn that idea, how to turn, you know, a lot of young people have a lot of really creative, really awesome stories to tell and how to take those, organize them, how to, you know, and, and sort of I, I guide young people through that self-publishing process, you know, what it takes to get something out there in, in the marketplace. So, you know, I've been fortunate to talk to a lot of really creative, really uh, 
hardworking, you know, young people in, in our high schools here. So it's been awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. A, that first step of g- getting your, uh, you know, your thoughts onto the paper. That's the first, uh, you know, step of uh, the telepathy we call writing. I mean, no, yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, and, and every kid blogs and, you know, depending on like what the nature of the blog is, you know, I think that uh, that sort of assessment that, you know, kids maybe aren't as, as motivated to do things is, is maybe a misperception because the kids I've met and talked to um, are like really motivated to make their the content on their blogs and the content they put out on the web uh, really like just top-notch stuff. Um, yeah, so- I, you know, I think a lot of parents of young children see – uh, they only see their children's laptops from the back. So all they see is a glowing Apple or a Dell logo. Yeah. So they think that all, all these kids do nowadays play video games. And, you know, the, you're right. There's so many kids blogging. And, I mean, there's there's 10-year-olds blogging that wrote more in the last year than I ever did when I was that age. Oh, yeah, no. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough to use that Tumblr platform uh, that Tumblr hosts, adorkablelife.com. And when I started, I actually self-published uh, two wrongs make advice before I had any reader base. So I had these huge boxes of books, like you said, that I paid, you know, a ton of my, all the money I got for graduating, all right. the money I, you know, I was managed to save. Um, so I had these boxes of books and, and I didn't have anybody who was interested in, you know, starting to slowly put creative writing out there on Tumblr and, uh, you know, getting followed by really, you know, really smart kids, kids who are really interested in new, you know, new voices, new, uh, new works. And, uh, yeah, just build a re- like, just built it up slow like that. And I'm super fortunate, uh, for Tumblr and, and for, you know, for having the blog out there. It's, it's essential. I think every, every writer's got to have a, got to have a, you know, functional blog that, you know, updates regularly and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Well, Nick, yeah. Nick, when you're sitting down to do your actual writing, tell me a little bit about your process. I know every every writer's different. Do you uh, you the guy that takes his laptop into Starbucks? Are you you know if you've got your iPad with you and you get a, a thought, you hammering it down? You got a typewriter? You taking notes? You jumble it all together? You lock yourself in a room? Tell me a little bit about how you how you did your your first book and anything maybe you've changed uh, moving on to the second book about the process. No, and it's actually uh, it's actually uh, very specific, and it was uh, the same process for Two Wrongs Make a Vice as it was for Fingerless Gloves. I'm very about uh, the environment that I'm in when I'm when I'm writing. I have a, as believe it or not, I have a very hard time uh, doing long form writing, like in a Starbucks, in a park. Uh, I'm people that could do that are you know I envy them because it's you know so much more convenient just. But for me, um, in like the the office area that I have in in my apartment, it's like it's covered in in pictures and letters and postcards and all like these things that matter to me. Whether it's things I cut out of magazines or uh, posters from places I visited or anything like that, I even have some old prom pictures sitting up here. So uh, when I sit down to write these characters and I, uh, you know, if I, if I hit that wall, if I, uh, you know, if I, if I just don't know what the character's meant to do or say, a lot of times I'll read through this stuff or I'll look at these things that I have in, in this office and, you know, remember sort of, uh, a weird thing that happened or a weird anecdote or whatever. And it, it definitely kickstarts the creative process. So I'm very much about like, solid, like being in a room, solitary, just sort of working. And, and some nights I, I would get like, 
three good pages and some nights I would get like one good paragraph. So it's, it depends on, uh, you know, on, on how I'm, I'm feeling, but, um, the, the shorter stuff on adorkablelife.com, uh, that website contains like a lot of poems, a lot of songs and letters that I do that stuff. I do more on the fly. If I'm on the bus into the city and I have like this, I just think of an image or I think of a thought, I'll jot it down, you know, in my iPhone or on my iPad. Um, I've written poems on, on backs of receipts, like at the post office. So that stuff I'm much more able to organize or like get thoughts on the fly. But for the long form, I, I'm all about the, uh, the environment that I'm in. And, you know, this office is like, people call it cluttered, but I just think like all this stuff is, it has a lot of meaning. So it's, it's, that's really interesting. It's like you, you've got an environment where you surrounded yourself with, different experiences you can draw on like you say your old prom picture maybe you remember mm-hmm. something that happened there and you know you can pull emotion out of these things that you know, that that's really interesting that would uh that would make um anybody who read the book could they uh, could they come in there and, and like go oh that's where he got that at or something like that that's pretty oh cool. you know i mean i'm sure there are things like you know, when I uh, there's a scene in Fingerless Gloves where uh, where the main character flashes back to you know to to his prom with with his now ex girlfriend and uh, you know and he talks about how bad not only how bad the food was but what the DJ was like <laughs> and I'm looking at these pictures now and man like when I went the food was that terrible and the DJ really was that bad so you know it, it definitely uh, if somebody sat down in, in here and and looked and you know, took a, took a look around at some of this stuff. They definitely, uh, <laughs> I think they definitely figure out like, Oh wow. Like that scene is, is, you know, from here or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's important, um, you know, to, to structure that environment around me so that, you know, just not like I, it helps me to be, like also like center and be calm and everything. Like it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a comforting thing to be, to be in here. It's, you know, like a lot of candles, a lot of low lighting. It's, you know, it's very like, uh, it's a, it's an interesting place. This little office here, I'm sitting here now and I'm looking at it. I'm like, this place looks insane. Like, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I've never understood the, the, the person that can sit in a busy Starbucks and write. I've never, it boggles my mind. And when I walk into one in, in midtown Manhattan and, and somebody's sitting there writing, you look and the flow of people is nuts. It's like there is no quiet. There is no like chance to collect your thoughts. Like a, a midtown Manhattan Starbucks is like, it, it's like a freeway. It's constant. People right. constantly <laughs> walking, talking, like get, spilling drinks, getting drinks, yelling because the drink is wrong. So I don't know. Maybe if I had some monster headphones and I was able to just sit there and, but or, I don't, maybe I don't if know how you to were, do it. If you were writing a scene that happens guess, in a Starbucks, it <laughs> might work. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some people. <laughs> I was thinking some people must have that ability, like Kevin Costner in that baseball movie, where he can just, you know, just shut everything else out. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely do not do not have that. So, um, you know, I'm fortunate that uh, that I get to escape that the the craziness of the city every once in a while to, to come back here and, and and write and do some work. So. So, so Nick, hope you'll you'll stick around for the other the last half hour of the show. And uh, oh, we'll, definitely, guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, and just uh, just to remind the listeners before we go to our mid show break, uh, what's your where can they reach you? What are the website addresses? Uh, my website is uh, it's the name of my book. It's two wrongs make a vice dot com, and on that website you'll see uh, 
all the book reviews. That's where the web store lives. You could you could check out uh, not only reviews of the books, but that's where you could purchase Two Wrongs Make a Vice. Uh, and that's also where you can find the links to purchase um, Fingerless Gloves. My blog is adorkablelife.com. Uh, on that site, again, you'll see uh, you know a lot of shorter works and poems, some songs. And I'm on Twitter at Nick Orsini. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to step up my Twitter game, so you know that's the best place to, to get at me directly. So it's at Nick Orsini on on Twitter. So it's you know, so that's where I'm at. Yeah, you know the Twitter. The Twitter is really important, and I, I think it goes now in order of uh, most used. It's Facebook, then Twitter, and then Pinterest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pinterest right. just came out of nowhere and uh, took third. Mm-hmm. And we will be back after a little short break, a little promo. Come on, you wise guys. You know which one I'm playing, Sir Jimmy. The usual. Uh, our friends at 7th Row Center. I will be right back. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Hi. Now that I've got your attention, I'd like to tell you about a great little podcast. Well, okay. It's called Seventh Row Center, and it's hosted by me, Alex the Movie Guy. I work for Kaiser Soze. Anyway, every week I get together with Weekly Animated's David Hickson. These men are the leaders of a terrorist organization wanted for the abduction of a little monkey. Well, no. We're movie opinionists who give our thoughts about films new and old. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Check out our show. It's called Seventh Row Center, and it's part of the Bear Crawling Nation. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. Come and read my book. Go online, jeremybullock.com, and you can see all about my book, Flying Solo. You've been listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. Come on, how cool is that? I met Boba Fett. <laughs> I'm like that the kid on, on Nick's, uh, the cover of Nick's book. Was <laughs> <laughs> he... Was he just Boba Fett in one of the movies or all he, six? Or? He was uh, Boba Fett throughout the first three, uh, the, the original trilogy anyways. I can't recall if Boba oh, Fett was the in only ones all that of count. them. Right, yeah, the only ones that count, really. Uh, and uh, he's gonna be, uh, Jeremy's going to be on the show. He's, uh, I think he's just touring now through Canada. And when he's back home, he's going to come on the show and talk about his book, Flying Solo. There you go. Met him and his wife. Nice people. Over at the uh, Comic Con. Maybe we'll hit a little bit of Comic books, comic books, comic books. So I met a gentleman named Matthew Muhammad at uh, the Comic Con. There's a lot of artists there and independent uh, publishers, whatnot. I haven't read the comic yet, but he just had his his marketing. <laughs> you know, his marketing was, was just dead nuts on. Uh, he, his comic is called Black Bastard. Okay. And uh, he he had this like, the pimp ring on. He had the the afro all you know poofed out. He was dressed as the superhero in his uh, in his comic book. So I'm going to check that out. I picked up uh, uh, his number one issue and uh, had he signed it for me and everything. So we'll be talking about that in a future episode. Also, while I was there, and this is actually what's on my nightstand now because I'm a big Doctor Hugh uh, Who fan, Nick, the oh. nerd. Uh, I picked up Who is the Doctor by Graham Burke and Robert Smith, question mark. Um, he was he did a panel, and actually uh, now on our podcast stream and on the website, there's an episode 37 and 38 that we put in between uh, last week and today's show. There's a pa- the panel on Doctor Who with Graham Burke, and there's the panel that we also recorded w- with the uh, the cast from Being Human. That was a lot of fun. So if you want to take a listen... 
those are on the website now and I really enjoyed the one with Graham Burke and uh, I got to ask one question I asked him about the female doctor and he kind of shot me right down so I was just checking out that the Black Bastard comic book uh, that you mentioned I went I hopped on the guy's website yeah it's crazy man that's pretty cool <laughs> I can't even say you know I, I, you know <laughs> there's certain things you know I uh, Black Bastard he resides in, in a town called Nicaropolis Okay, and it only gets worse from there. So I haven't, I haven't read the book yet. So I really don't want to start reading uh, and on the air because I'm going to get letters, and everyone knows my email address. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a lot of fun. There's a lot, a lot of people there. Um, like I said, if you want to get uh, autographs or uh, if you want to chat, I, I wanted to chat with some of the more famous people that were there, uh, like uh, the Being Human panel. Good luck. <laughs> They're surrounded by ten year old girls. You know, but so uh, what's it like? Is there like furries running around, people in costumes and and craziness? Did you get any pictures? You, you know, what, what having, am I missing? You know, having followed like tech news coverage and comic book coverage on, you know, the San Diego Comic Con, uh, I was expecting everyone to be dressed up. I was literally, you know, step stepping off the subway, thinking I'm going to be the only guy out of costume. And you know what? I was kind of disappointed. I mean, the show didn't disappoint me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, there was a lot of people in costume, but they were all either with, uh, you know, a, a presenter of some sort. You know, they were either with a booth or with an organization, but uh, there was just not enough people in costume. And, and I don't know, may, maybe they're just shooting it at a different angle at San Diego. Like, you know, when I see people walking around San Diego, it's usually like 90% of the people are, you know, wearing something. I don't know. Mm, just of boring Canadians. <laughs> That's right. Did you guys, did you guys check out um, the new Morgan Spurlock documentary, the Comic Con episode four of Fans Hope that he did uh, at the San Diego Comic Con last year? Oh no, but I'm I'm scratching that down now. <laughs> it's on my yeah. yeah he, I'm a big Morgan Spurlock fan. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's actually it's on video on demand right now. It's Comic Con episode four of Fans Hope, and he follows. Uh, I think it's about five really interesting stories in uh, at the San Diego Comic Con and. Uh, you know, the documentary is super interesting. Uh, I always thought it was just out there. Just like you said, people just dressed up or whatever. But, you know, uh, during the movie, a guy goes out there, proposes to his girlfriend in costume. Like it's, <laughs> There's a lot of interesting stories that come out of uh, out of that comic book. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, actually, Teresa, the librarian who went with us, uh, she... She she's dying to go down to San Diego Comic Con. She's trying to find you know some. She wants Greg to go down with her, and uh, you know everyone's him and Han. I'd love to go down. It's just a little, little bit of a trip for no. me. For me, anyways, up here in uh, Soviet Kanakistan, as Sir, Sir Jimmy would say. Uh, <laughs> we did have some fun. You know, the the Doctor Who Society was there, and uh, they, they're the ones who presented the uh, the panel by Graham Burke that I attended, and that's actually on our podcast stream right now for you to listen, all you Doctor Who fans. Um, and in the middle of that. Dalek Auric, who is the, uh, he's kind of the, uh, the patron Dalek of the Doctor Who Society, uh, showed up in the middle of that. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, I asked him if he would uh, do a promo for the, uh, for the book guys show. Right. So, um, the poor guy, he just, you know, he's been, these are the old Daleks. So it's a tiny and it's like, you're in like a tin can on a bicycle. <laughs> so he's been in it for most of the day. And, and this, I believe his name is Rob. Thank you so much, Rob. He said, look, I'm not getting back in that thing. But I'll, you know, I'll take the headset out and I'll use the the voice effects, you know, the the ringtone modulator. To, I'll I'll do I'll do your promo for you. So the funny thing was, as before he took the head off the Dalek, 
you know, all the Doctor Who Society people came over really quick and like held up a tarp, you know, because it was kind of like they didn't want the kids to see, you know, Santa with his beard off. You know, they didn't want the kids to see that, uh, you know, the Daleks were just hollow. <laughs> it was funny. And then he did the, the promo for us. Actually, I got it right here. I've, I've added some sound effects to it, but uh, it was booming throughout the uh, <laughs> booming throughout the uh, the Comic-Con. I am Dalek Eric from DoctorWhoSociety.com. You are listening to The Book Guy Show. Continue or you will be exterminated. So, so anyways, that's kind of what it sounds like. He was really loud, too. Everyone was staring. Lots of fun. And uh, Craig Ferguson, who plays uh, Sheriff Carter on Eureka. What a nice guy. But he did see my Leafs hat. That's when he started yelling, go. Go, 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 Habs, go. Lots of fun. You guys take that hockey stuff serious. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've, uh, at, at 39 years old, I've uh, kind of, I'm at that point where I realize the Leafs are never going to win a cup in my lifetime. And uh, I don't think I've watched a whole hour of hockey this year. Just focusing on other things, you know, uh, trying to stay away from all the, the, you know, the slave distractions. <laughs> uh, we've been a bit fortunate with the Rangers up here. We, uh, you know, I've seen a little bit more hockey success, I think, this year. So, you know, but it's been a long time coming. I don't know. Your hockey season is generally longer than the Leafs as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on. Let's do some book news. What do we got, Sir Jimmy? Let's take a look at some book news. Uh, yeah, Sir Jimmy, yeah, you, you found an interesting fiction. book. You found an interesting book. It was, what's it called? Do-do-do-do-do. OJ is innocent and I can prove it. That's right. And that's by author and private investigator William C. Deer. And uh, what's there uh, contends that the real killer was Simpson's son from a previous marriage, Jason Simpson. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, apparently <laughs> he, he claims to actually have the knife that was used in the killings that he obtained from someone who, of course, uh, got it from a storage locker that uh, they hadn't paid the bill on. <laughs> Those storage lockers. <laughs> Folks, everything is storage lockers now. <laughs> Never put your murder weapon in a storage locker <laughs> unless you prepaid for a while. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. So, I don't know. This, uh, we'll see. I say pull the glove, get the glove back out of evidence, and if the glove <laughs> doesn't fit, you must acquit. That's right. Well, anyways, that's there. If anyone's interested in that whole circus... There's a new book out. Uh, the Nook, an upgrade to the Nook, a new Nook from Barnes & Noble, the Nook Simple Touch. That, that sounds wrong. It's like Uncle Bad Touch or something. I don't know. The Nook Simple Touch, $139 from Barnes & Noble. It's the first e-reader to have a glowing screen. It's an e-ink screen with a glow light built in. And I had to read this like three or four. It, I like calling it a nightlight. A nightlight, right. So there's a nightlight basically built in. Exactly. So they've got like, uh, you know, lights all around and uh, focused on the e-ink screen. So uh, it's a book reader with a light. (laughs) When we talked about this earlier, I thought it was like maybe like a little thing that popped up and like lit over top of it. Like, you know, those little clip on book lights that you get this click on there. That's what I thought it was. So I got in there looking at it, but no, it's. Uh, this is a little more handy. I don't think yeah. it's going to break. Well, off they've this. they've had ton of yeah they've had all those little clip-ons at the you know at the, the local chapters or I don't know whatever your 
uh, equivalent is in the United States of uh, large bookstore chains. But uh, I was really surprised that it took till 2012 for them to figure out to put a light in the Kindle or in the Nook or in the ebook, you know? And, uh, you know, really? you know like, like the iPad, uh, Sir Jimmy, it has the same thing. It's got the light uh, based on how much light is around. That's how bright the screen will be. And, uh, you know, you, you can, if you know where the sensor is on your iPad, you can actually put your palm over it and then it gets a lot brighter. Uh, and that's the same way that this Nook uh, Simple Touch works. Uh, it judges based on where you are and how much light there is and what kind of light it is, uh, how bright the nightlight, as Sir Jimmy calls it. It is a nightlight. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty smart because you know, they'd spent all, that, all the time up till now trying to make it so you could read it in the daylight, which your iPad just totally sucks if you go out in the bright sun. Right. Even if you just have on a pair of sunglasses, it's almost impossible to read. So uh, now they got both bases covered. Yeah. You know, I've considered getting a dedicated e-reader, but the amount of times in my life where I, I'm reading on my iPad and I, and I decide that it's too bright because I'm out in the sunlight are nil. So as far as sure. I'm concerned, that's for me, that's a theoretical uh, failing of the iPad because quite often I'm reading at night or indoors. Um, it's very rare that I go out in the middle of the summertime and, and sit you know, in the middle of the city and read a book. Just saying. So I guess it's a use case scenario if, uh, you know, uh, for my use case, anyways, carrying the iPad uh, because it's more versatile, uh, I can do my email and everything else on it, and you know different apps that I use on it. You know, makes sense for me. Uh, we're going to move on to Harper Collins. Of course, uh, a few weeks ago, we announced on the site that they were uh, well, it was actually maybe more than a month ago that they were starting a new imprint called Mischief, uh, which will feature erotica content. Uh, of course, they hope to cash in on the explosion of, uh, we've talked, we've talked to death here on the show that now that people don't have to go into the store and walk out with a black bag and, you know, now they can buy uh, erotic content from the comfort of their own home. A lot more people are doing so. Um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, the explosion of porn websites. Uh, now that you don't have to go into your corner store and ask for the playboy or, you know, wait for the old lady to leave. It's almost like guys buying condoms when they're younger, <laughs> you know, uh, they buy like $800 worth of stuff to go with the condoms to sort of like bury it on the counter. <laughs> but, um, yeah, now they are doing, uh, some new titles have arrived. Mischief website is out. Uh, the pricing looks to be around the $1.99 mark. And I just got to read out some of these titles. <laughs> I believe I can on the show without making it explicit, uh, at your mercy across my knee. Girls for Hire, and The Swap. Across my knee. <laughs> I'm going to pick that up. <laughs> Only $1.99, my friend. <laughs> uh, and uh, another news story here. Apparently, there's been a huge upswing in themed weddings based on the novels, uh, the series Twilight and the Hunger Games series. <laughs> uh, oh, <my> God. <laughs> that's Sir Jimmy. What was the theme in and your wedding? wedding food wasn't bad enough. <laughs> That's right. There is no food, District 12. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, guys, nothing says true love. Like, I wish we were both someone else. Uh, yeah, I can see it. You know, you're at the wedding and uh, at every table, you know, you get a parachute that drop, drops down on top of you and, and you get like a, <laughs> you, you get a hot roll and you're like, oh, thank goodness it was starving. Yeah, and then uh, just as you say your vows, they they started you know duel to the death for the two of you. <laughs> only one can yeah, survive. Only one, only one of you gets the house. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I've still got some time. I can talk about uh, book. What's on your nightstands? Before I go ahead and uh, yap about the book that I really enjoyed this week. Uh, what are you reading, uh, Nick? What's uh, other than your own work, of course? Oh, I'm currently reading Flat Screen by Adam Wilson. Ah, yes. Awesome. So good. And on deck, I have uh, Savages by Don Winslow, uh, the book that they that Oliver Stone based uh, his movie Savages on. So I'm pretty uh, excited you... to finish flat screen and get into Savages. Sounds like you're going to have uh, some good reading ahead for the next week or so. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. It's good. Flat screen is fun. How far, how far are you through that? I'm just about done. I think I have about uh, 30 pages left. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's unbelievable. It reads really fast and, and it's... You know, I totally agree with one of the reviews on the back that it's like the best uh, slacker novel to come along in quite some time. So. <laughs> That's right. You know, uh, I think when I was reading it, I actually pulled, uh, I actually pulled Catch and the Rye off the shelf for a second. Yeah. To, just, it remi- just to look it at it. Reminds me of like a Richard Linklater <laughs> movie or something. Like it's it's pretty it's pretty good. Yeah, we got to have uh, Adam back on the show. Uh, I know. Well, we had him on on the uh, the uh, on the series premiere of uh, Game of Thrones. So nobody wanted to be on our show. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had to scram. You know, no, I kind of, you know what? He he, uh, he actually didn't mind sticking around for the whole show. But uh, you know, I was like, come on, you go go ahead, go back to your party. <laughs> he had the DVR on pause, you know. But he he will return to the show. He was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to talk to. Oh, awesome! And, and uh, Sir Jimmy, anything on your plate? Are you carving any new books? Oh, but uh, Nick, you uh, yeah, know, Sir a, Jimmy is the evil book. Boring guy. ones going on. <laughs> Yeah, I need to get a copy of the uh, uh, his two books right there and hollow those suckers out. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, and Sir Jimmy, when are your peppers going to be ready? Because I'd love for you to send me uh, another. I'll, I'll buy a hollow book as long as you put uh, some of those Bojolokia, that powder in it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's My reading has sort of been suffering because my entire garden got wiped out by a, a late freeze. They always say you're going to have a a frost. The last frost date here is like April fifteenth, but uh, about on the eleventh, we got not only a frost, but it was it was actually a hard freeze. My when I, when I go out in the morning, you got frost on your vegetables, and, and you take your hose and, and then you you water them before the sun hits them with frost on them. That's what kills yeah, them, yeah, for the got, most part. Just frozen them, yeah. In this in this case, the hose was frozen, so I knew I was in bad shape. <laughs> Every tomato died, but the boot jalokias that I started from seed, they indeed survived. So it'll be flame on in Toronto in about uh, 85 days. Nice. <laughs> you know, and uh, before, before we get letters, I know it's probably illegal to ship, you know, like pepper powder to Canada in a hollow book. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Like if the United Nations gets caught having 30 pounds of cocaine shipped to them, we're shipping ourselves some food, Okay. Yeah, no kidding. We're people too. So um, I really enjoyed this book over the last week, and it's one that uh, Greg uh, brought to my attention on the show. Uh, and I remember saying on the show, "I'm going to get that right away." And guess what? I did. I got it right away. This is uh, Carly's Voice by Arthur Fleischman with Carly Fleischman, and I'll give you the I'll give you the publisher's synopsis here. It's uh, at the age of two, Carly Fleischman was diagnosed with severe autism and an oral motor condition that prevented her from speaking. Doctors predicted that she would never intellectually develop beyond the abilities of a small child. Although she made some progress after years of intensive behavioral and communication therapy, Carly remained largely unreachable. Then at the age of 10, she had a breakthrough. 
While, while working with her devoted therapists, Howie and Barb, Carly reached over to their laptop and typed in, Help, teeth, hurt. Much to everyone's astonishment, this was the beginning of Carly's journey toward self-realization. So this is a story of Carly, and uh, she does have some writing in the book, so that kind of gives you a hint right away, uh, you know, as far as how far she made it out of this uh, prison that, uh, you know, is autism and touches a lot of lives. Uh, there's, there's a point where uh, Arthur Fleshman, uh, her dad, calls her team of therapists his uh, personal uh, Rube Goldberg machine. And because, uh, you know, you know, with, with, a, with a kid with autism, it's, it's really hard to, uh, for two human beings with jobs to handle it. And never mind one person with, you know, even if one person's working and whatnot. And actually, this can be one of those cases where I play the audible clip early on while I'm talking about it. Uh, I'm going to give you a little taste of what they had to deal with as far as with uh, Carly. And I've got to switch over from EBS. There we go. I dropped my satchel and called up the stairs. Hello, with just enough sarcasm to elicit a hi from one of my twin seven-year-old daughters, Taryn. Where's Carly? I yelled to our nanny over the sound of the bath filling. I asked this question instinctively and nearly as frequently as I inhaled. Isn't she in her room? She replied from the washroom. Oh, shit, I said. I ran from bedroom to bedroom down the stairs, through the living room, dining room, and den, and into the basement in what can only be described as one continuous swoop through the house. But I knew I wouldn't find her here. The house was too quiet. It lacked her frenetic energy that usually electrified every room. For a brief moment, the four of us, our nanny, my son, my daughter, and I, faced each other at the landing. Carly was gone. We stood staring at one another. If she's not here, then where is she? Who saw her last? I asked. I was not assessing blame, but merely fumbling my way through detective work. She was sitting on her bed while I filled the bath, replied our nanny. She had a slow calm about her that could test my patience. But she had always been so dedicated to Carly and to our family, so tolerant of the challenging tasks of helping to raise a little girl with severe autism. In this role, many personality quirks could be overlooked. As I dashed back down to the kitchen, the evening light was fading rapidly through the bay window behind the kitchen table. Although we lived in a large, active city, Carly's life was tightly prescribed. There were only a few places we took her on foot in our neighborhood. Almost instinctively, I bolted through the back door and down the street. There was a small park several blocks away. We had been going there on warm nights after dinner ever since we moved to the neighborhood when the girls were one year old. Before they could walk the distance, we would push them in their twin stroller, drawing the attention of passers-by. Though I rolled my eyes at women cooing at my two sweet-faced twins in their adorable outfits, I secretly enjoyed the attention. Swinging on park swings was one of Carly's favorite pastimes. She seemed to find the whooshing of air in her face relaxing, and having her contained by a child swing was a relief after a long day of work. I was horrified at the thought that I might find her there. She would have had to cross several busy city blocks in the twilight. I was equally horrified by the possibility that I might not find her there. This was both my plan A and plan B. 
We lived only several streets over from a large main avenue lined with stores and restaurants. Toronto is a grid of streets, each one spawning... So the, the clip continues and he does, uh, of course, find Carly uh, standing naked in the, you know, in the playground. Everything works out fine that time and uh, he, does, he does tell the reader uh, that that's not the first or the last time things like that would happen with uh, dealing with a child with autism like Carly. And don't get me wrong, folks. Uh, this is not a sad story, okay? Uh, Nick, Sir Jimmy, it's not. There's not a. This is a really feel, feel, feel good book. And I know a lot of people when they hear that says, "Oh, it's a story about a girl with autism." Oh, it's no. Carly is uh, is a is a beautiful, gifted young lady, uh, young girl, I should say. Uh, at, uh, there's a, the one who helped her a lot. One of her therapists, name is Howard. Uh, I'm really bad with names, but I believe his name was Howard. And uh, he was working with her with flashcards, sign language, and uh, getting her to start to do some vocalization. Um, and he's on his way out one day, and he, you know, he's told her dad, "Well, she's a smart girl, you know." And uh, her dad's, you know, okay, well, sure. Uh, and he's no, she's a smart girl. And as Howard's on his way out one day, Carly, go, you know, goes over to the closet, grabs his jacket, gives it to him. Okay. And then she gets out like her own jacket and grabs her dad's jacket, gives it to her dad, gets her mom's purse, gives it to her, picks up her flashcards and points at the one that has the golden arches on it. You know, so they all thought that she was just grabbing stuff out of the closet, you know, and apparently she just wanted to go have a Big Mac. You know, <laughs> and that was one of those times where, you know, uh, Arthur probably really enjoyed, first of all, that Big Mac because his daughter was capable of uh, telling him that she wanted it. Right. Uh, then later on, as she progressed with typing, you know, she, uh, she, uh, they're a Jewish family. So, uh, Carly came to the age where she's going to have her bat mitzvah, uh, her coming of age, um, celebration. And, uh, Carly is a twin. So, you know, they, they, they're having both them together. They're both twins. And, uh, she was fascinated with Ellen DeGeneres and, uh, she asks Ellen to be her voice because although at that point, Carly, there's, there's lines in this book that Carly is delivering, that I'm, I'm sitting there going, is this a 10-year-old? So when I say she's a gifted, you know, beautiful little girl, she's literally a gifted girl. I mean, uh, she fought to, to get, uh, her, her family fought to get Ellen to read her uh, bat mitzvah speech for her, uh, which Ellen DeGeneres eventually did. Ellen eventually had her, you know, down to the show and whatnot. Uh, she, you know, she, she doesn't care. She's asking. She, she, Wanted to get on Larry King, and she got on Larry King. Uh, she's worked her way to the point where she can now communicate with uh, with people uh, by typing on her iPad now, and uh, the iPad speaks out what she's saying in response. She still can't vocalize. She can't speak. But uh, what she writes is so beyond her, her age level. Uh, she's now, uh, she fought to go into a regular school because, you know, she has to fight, uh, you know, the, the condition where she, you know, she's making abrupt movements and, uh, you know, strange noises. And she, at some point she explains, like, uh, they, they found that when she was younger, she when she ate potato chips, right, she would uh, cup her hands around her ears and start saying, mm, really loud for the whole time she was eating. But when she found her voice, she told them, well, it's not because I'm, you know, dumb or anything. And it's not like I wasn't listening. I was listening to you, but... Because of the way I hear, and, and she has like this super hearing, super sensitive hearing, uh, the crunching of the potato chips, the sounds were so complex to her 
that she had to block them out somehow. And the way she would block that out was by humming. So because she loved potato chips so much, she still wanted to eat them. They just made this terrible sound in her mouth. Yeah, I bet it's a lot like if you like get a mouthful of potato chips and you went down, like jumped in a swimming pool, what right. that would sound like. Right. You know, amplify it. Like if you Every- snap your fingers underneath the swimming pool, it just wow, wow. Yeah. There's even, Ooh, there's even a, a part in the book where uh, they're, they're planning to go to New York and Carly asks them, can we see Ground Zero? And I think she's like six at this point and her parents just are trying to hold themselves up. They're so stunned. How did you learn about 9-11? And she explains, well, there's a TV like two rooms away and you guys always have it on. And I'm listening to it all the time. Sometimes it takes me a few days to process what I heard. But this whole time, she had been the TV that they couldn't even hear. Because uh, we're, we're equipped to block out stimulus, where in most cases, an autistic person, everything's coming at them at once. And that's where uh, when when one of them can process it all or, or what she, she calls it audio filtering. She was learning how to audio filter it, uh, to be able to somehow focus uh, on the you know, task at hand or the sound at hand. Um, she was having difficulty being in a restaurant with, you know, 500 people cause that's 250 conversations that she's listening and processing. It's really, she tough. needs to get into, um, our boys like little office right there, all nice and quiet. That's right. Well, even yeah, that, yeah. even that would, even Nick, uh, Nick's office would be too much visual stimulation. And, and, it's too and, much visual stimulation for me sometimes. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the, the funny thing is that now that Carly has her voice through, you know, uh, by voice, of course, we mean she'd be able to communicate all this to us. Uh, you know, she's saying, why do autistic children turn away from you? They're not turning away from you. They're just watching you out of the corner of their eye. Cause if they look directly at you, she said that it was, that looking at a person's face, because there's so many visual things going on on someone's face, she said, it's like taking a thousand pictures a second. So we'd prefer to just turn away and, and look at you with our peripheral vision because it's less of a bombardment of uh, you know stimuli. But I We need to get this girl at the, to the Vegas and get her on a poker table. <laughs> well, you know, we, we're going to try to get uh, Arthur Fleischman on the show, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, more about this book next week, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. We're kind of running. I'm watching the clock. They're ticking down. But uh, Carly is a fantastic young lady now in, uh, in the gifted program in high school here in Toronto, which is uh, fantastic. So when I say gifted, I mean gifted. And I'd love to have her dad on the show talk to us about the book and the experience and uh, god bless him that's one interview i want to do in person because i want to shake his hand and buy him a beer him and his wife buy him drinks or dinner they're just nice people nick orsini thank you very much for joining us sir. all right guys really appreciate it sir jimmy it was a pleasure time for mad men <laughs> that's right nick we'll see you again soon I thank we- you again guys uh, we gotta go same book time same book channel next week folks Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel.